ladies, it's Brittany Brazel. The Lord has given me a passion for motherhood and homemaking. From that passion, a ministry has birthed no higher calling. There is no higher calling on my life than to be wife to Simeon and mama to my littles. I still have so much to learn, but as I continue to grow, it is my desire to share the truths God is teaching me. Welcome back to the No Higher Calling podcast. I am joined again by my handsome husband, and we are continuing our discussion on the Christian home. Um, last night, we really outlined a lot about the Christian home. Um, I won't review all that. Uh, we have a lot of content to jump into today. So um, I, if you haven't listened to that episode, I suggest that you go back. That's really an introduction to the content that we're going to share between this episode and next week's episode. Um, but in what we shared last week, really, we wrapped up with building a home that glorifies Christ. And I talked a little bit about um, Ken Ham in his new book, Will They Stand? How he challenged Christian parents to really think through and even come up with a list of these are the things that we are trying to accomplish in our home that we are working towards when we have kids that are raised, that are ready to leave the nest. We hope that we have instilled these things in their hearts. And honestly, it goes even beyond just a hope. You know, it's not good enough to say, oh, well, you know, I hope they turn out to be honest and loving and obedient. If we want that for them, it requires work, sacrifice, giving of ourselves, intentionality over and over and over again to reach that end goal. Um, I'm a list kind of girl. I like my bullet points. I've told Simeon so many times, give me a list of ways I need to be a better wife and I'm going to tick through them and try to work on it. And he's never done it. There's probably a good reason for that. I might not really actually want what I'm asking for. But anyway, um, so we've kind of done that. We we took the challenge that Kim and Ham gave and have really been praying through our home. And that's what last week's episode, really just thinking about the foundational things about our home, what the purpose of the Christian home is, period. But this episode and next episode are really going to take it into a personal level for our home. Now, I want to also throw in here that our home is not your home. Um, You know, every home has its own unique dynamics. Um, It has its own unique set of people and personalities, number of kids, location, culture, views on education. I mean, just we could endlessly list things that are going to be different from home to home. So when we give this list of things that we feel like God is impressing upon our hearts that are elements that need to be in our home as we seek to glorify Christ and to raise our children for him, don't feel like you have to adopt the exact same list. Um, I would challenge you, maybe listen to these episodes with your husband and pray through together. Have a date night. Go out and talk about what it is that you feel like from Scripture God is putting an emphasis on in your home. But I do feel like um, what God has put on our hearts can encourage, can give some guidance and insight. And um, so we just, we really felt led of the Holy Spirit to share our list. And 
if you've been listening long, you know, we've been married about seven years. Um, our oldest is four. So I imagine this list will evolve as time goes, as our kids grow, as we learn, as we grow in the Lord. Um, we are far from attaining all the biblical wisdom we hope to ever receive. So as God grows us, as God shows us more and more, um, this will fine tune and probably be changed. But I do feel like all of the elements that we have come on our list of what we feel like for our home are key elements to glorify Christ and to raise kids that will love him and serve him with their lives have come straight from the Bible. So again, this is not, you know, oh, Simeon and Brittany's list to have a Christian home. No, this is from scripture, from truth. This is what we feel like God has emphasized in his word and things that we really want to work on, be actively pursuing in our home, in our home culture. And so we're just going to divide in the next two episodes. We have a list of about, I think, eight or nine, um, just really key things that we are praying that God will help us to be intentional and focused on implementing in our home. So the first one, and these are really in no particular order, um, although I do feel like this first one is kind of key. I mean, everything else builds on this. The first one is to have a fear of God. Um, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote the entire book of Ecclesiastes, or at least the majority of it. And he can, he finishes that book out by saying the conclusion of everything that I've written is that the wisest people fear God and eschew evil. And those two things are not, they're not mutually exclusive. They go together. You have to have the fear of God in order to eschew evil. And you can look all throughout scriptures. We're not going to take you all over the place, but you can look all throughout scriptures and you can find a consistent pattern of purity in Christian character being paired with having a a fear of God. Now that word fear in uh, the New Testament and in the Old Testament both, when it talks about fearing God, it does mean being afraid of him in one aspect of it. And that is not necessarily that you're afraid of God himself, but you're afraid of the awesome purity of God and your own unholiness. And that's why Isaiah falls on his face and says, woe unto me um, when he is brought into the presence of God. But a person who has a proper fear of God will have a deep understanding of God's character. And in having a deep understanding of God's character, will see in himself in the mirror of scripture as an unholy and undeserving person. And what that does for you as a Christian and for us personally, when we look into the face of God, we see all of the things that we are doing wrong and the Holy Spirit points those things out to us. And then now we can correct those things and the Holy Spirit can work to correct those things to make us into the image of Christ. So a deep understanding of God's character. That next part was eschewing evil. When you have a deep understanding of God's character, a natural result of that is that you can do one of two things. You can hide and you continue to live in your sin or 
you begin to hate evil. Yeah, and this is really the first step in bringing our kids into a relationship with Christ. Not that it's something that we're trying to force, but in teaching them and guiding them, fearing God is the first step. Fearing God leads to salvation. When you see God for who he is, what he's done, when you see yourself as a wretched sinner in need of a savior, that that is the foundation. That is the ground that we can then build upon with all of these other things. So fearing God is so key. I heard somebody once put it this way. When you are in the presence of God, you run. And they said, you either run from God or you run from your sin. And you don't have a choice. You got to do one or the other. God. Yeah. And I, I do want to throw in here really quickly. So I'm in this mom Facebook group and somebody asked the question, it lists the top five character traits or qualities that you hope when your kids leave your home that they are equipped with. And it really kind of in another light just got me thinking about this. Um, but there were a lot of like f- fruit of the tree, if I can use a tree as an example here. Um, and I feel like there there's an endless fruits that we want. We're trying to take this down to the root. Okay, if we can get these couple things rooted in their hearts, the fruit will naturally come from that growth. Um, so in, in especially these first ones that we're going to share in today's podcast episode, we do want to share what some of the fruit is that we hope will be an end result of these root things. So the root here, the first one is fearing God. What does some of the fruit look like? Um, having a having purity, having personal holiness, obedience. Um, all of those things are so important. But I feel like the root of those is having this fear of God. Right. And that having, again, it comes down to having a deep understanding of God's character. When you have a deep understanding of God's character, then you eschew evil. You live in purity. You have personal holiness and you're an obedient person. So those are some of the fruit from that tree. I think another one that we could throw in there too is even devotion. You know, we want our kids to make their their faith theirs. You know, we don't want it to just be mom and dad's faith because that's not going to last them through their lives. And when you come to know God for who he is, and when you see yourself for who, who you are, like Simeon said earlier about the running, when I see that, I, I want to run to God because he is so worthy and I am so unworthy. And that makes me grateful. And I think even there, devotion to God um, and to righteous living is an outpouring of fearing God. Um, the next one is being a disciple of Christ. Yeah, so this is one that um, she's having me talk to because I have a whole, podca- <laughs> I have a whole podcast on the subject. But um, being a disciple of Christ um, starts out by... Um, by first following him directly and not just being a follower. Um, so if you would, if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to take it and turn to this passage. And maybe you've heard something to this effect before, but it's important that we look at it. Um, Jesus goes up into a mountain. It says in verse number 13, often Jesus would go to a mountain to be alone. But in this case, it says, and he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him and he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. And, you know, we could really focus in on that send them forth to preach part, but that's really not the emphasis of the passage. He calls a bunch of people up to the mountain 
And then he calls 12 of them, and he said, it said, the Bible says that he called those 12 that they should be with him. And for the rest of this, from this point on, these 12 that he called to him, we call the disciples, right? They're this key group of people. And when he sends them out, it changes the term to apostles. But when they come back, they're disciples. The point is, they're with Christ. And you want your child to be a disciple of Christ. We want our children to be a disciple of Christ. That doesn't mean that that mommy and daddy cram down scripture, scripture, scripture on their heads. What it means is we teach them to follow him. And if we can teach them to follow him, that solves a bunch of problems. And there's a difference as well. If you look at this passage, he was with a whole bunch of people and then he separated himself away from all of those people. And he went up into a mountain. Those people followed him around everywhere. There's a distinct difference between a follower of Christ and a disciple of Christ. There was a lot of people who were believers who were not disciples. Yeah. And you see that so much in Christianity today. I, I feel like there are so many that follow him, but how many of us are truly his disciple? Simeon read it there in Mark. It says that they were called to be with him. If the qualification of a disciple is being with Christ, how many of us are truly with Christ? These disciples they they were with him 24-7. They saw him minister. They ministered alongside him. They served with him. They listened to him. They slept with him. They ate with him. And, you know, it's just the, the difference between we don't want our kids to just grow up and be followers of Christ. We want it to be deep in their hearts. We want them to, to be to be disciples of Christ. Um, I think of that passage in Deuteronomy where um, it talks about when training your kids, when you walk by the way, when you rise up, when you sit down, basically every aspect of life, most of those which require in home, when you rise up, when you go to sleep, when you walk by the way, so much of that happens in within the home. God has given us really this unique opportunity to disciple our children. They are with us all the time. Um, and we're to lead them to Christ. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. What he was saying was, um, he's not the leader. He's not the boss. Christ is the boss. But in the ways that he's following Christ, we were to follow him. And so as a parent, Christ has given you stewardship of your children. What does that mean? That means that your children are supposed to follow you for the time being. They're supposed to obey. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Their job is to obey you. Now, what is your job? Your job is to show them how they can obey Christ. It is, it's always follow me as I follow Christ. What is the process of your kids becoming a disciple of Christ? Well, number one, you got to be a disciple of Christ. You have got to make sure that you are spending the proper amount of time being with him day in, day out. Your kids ought to hear you say things like, thank you for providing the groceries. Your kids ought to hear you say things like, and you know, we, we, you pass an ambulance when you're driving down the road, you know, you ought to say things like, Hey kids, let's pray for that person. It ought to be real in your life that every single day, day in and day out, mom and dad walk with the Lord. They are disciples of Christ and the kids are along for that ride. And what happens is they begin to hunger and thirst as well for a relationship with Christ. That's real. And a disciple of Christ has a few of these character traits, a few of these fruits as we're calling them. Um, and a, a person who's a disciple of Christ is a person who's courageous. And that word uh, courageous gets overused, I think, in our modern culture because courage is defined as a lot of strange things in, in modern culture. But Christian courage is simply a willingness to speak 
what needs to be spoken when it needs to be spoken. Jesus' disciples were not wimpy, scared people. After, especially after his ascension, Christ ascended into heaven. You know, there's there's one part where it talks about how Peter and John get arrested and they tell them, you're not allowed to preach in the name of Christ anymore. And Peter looks him in the face and says, we cannot but preach and teach in the name of Christ. And you think, where did that courage come from? That courage came from three and a half years of walking around with Christ day in and day out. Yeah, that's good. Another thing, another fruit that comes from being this disciple of Christ is being scripturally grounded, uh, having your spiritual life grounded and rooted in Christ. And I mean, I think every Christian parent wants that for their kids. We want our kids to leave our home grounded. And I've, I've shared it before. I think I shared it in the last episode, that picture of a tree from Psalm 1 planted by the rivers of water. You know, there were not the chaff that the wind drives away, but we're planted, we're rooted, we're strong trees. And, um, you know, that that's what we want for our kids. And that comes from being a disciple of Christ. The more you are with him, the more you follow him, come to know him, have his word wash over you, the more scripturally grounded you'll be. Humility comes. You can't read the life of Christ without seeing the perfect example of humility. Um, so as they're following Christ, his, who he is, is being imprinted upon who they are. Um, whether it's courage or humility or boldness or being grounded. That idea of being scripturally grounded, you know, what did Jesus tell us to do when he ascended into heaven? He told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, but he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What were they supposed to teach other people? They were supposed to teach the things that he commanded them, right? So they were supposed to go into all the world and repeat what Jesus said. That, that was the job that they were given. And that's the job that we are given. And a person who is a disciple of Christ, he's not speaking his own words. He's not saying the things that he wants to say. A disciple of Christ is one who is going out and he's scripturally grounded because he knows the truth in his own heart and courageously taking that and teaching it into other people. And the amazing thing, the more I studied discipleship as a concept, the more I understand something about it. A person who is a disciple of Christ immediately turns around and begins to disciple other people to Christ. And so as parents, if we are being proper disciples of Christ, we are going to turn around and disciple our children to him. Well, I feel like the more... The more we come to know God, even back to the fear of God, the more we see God for who he is, high, holy, and lifted up, the more the mirror of the word reflects our own sinful, wicked souls, the more we see the absolute beauty of the gospel. How can we but help but speak about him? And just, I've I've said it before too, speaking out of that overflow of what Christ is doing, as we hope that our kids will be disciples of Christ, true disciples walking with him, it will be a natural outpouring that they want to pour into the lives of others around them. Simeon kind of went into the Great Commission a little bit, so that'll be our next point. Number three, we want our kids to have an evangelistic worldview. Um, We are missionaries headed to the mission field soon, but I feel like even in the past couple years, really just being on deputation, hearing so much wonderful preaching about the Great Commission, about missions, and what God once accomplished in this world, God has grown us a lot in this area. And we've just really come to see his heart for the world. 
I think often we think that, um, you know, because we as parents are doing our part and we're giving to missions and it's something that's in our mind and in our heart, um, that that automatically transfers to your kids. It does not. Um, that is something that you have to teach them to have an evangelistic worldview. One thing we do with our kids, Brittany may have done, talked about this in previous podcasts, but we've got a, we've got a ring that has a bunch of missionary prayer cards on it. We go through at least one of those every single day with our kids. We've got a map that the kids look at and we find out where in the world all this stuff is. And it's kind of neat because Eden's starting to learn some geography and different things. But the point of it is that m- the mission mindedness is in front of them. 24 seven all the time, every single day. And it's not just because they're the kids of missionaries I and mean, that, that is a part of it. But when your kids are the kids of missionaries, it just becomes what we do. It can't be what we do. It has to be more than that. It has to be something that's in front of them. They need to have a worldview that God loves the whole world, not just where mommy and daddy are serving, not just where we are, but the whole world. And God wants to see that world reached with the gospel because he loves them. And God has grown us so much in that area. I mean, we didn't start out with a ring of a hundred or more missionary cards that we prayed through every day. I mean, just being honest, we started out giving a very small amount to missions, praying, Lord, bless the missionaries and checking off that we were accomplishing world missions. Now, God worked through our small offering and our very unspecific undynamic prayer. Um, but how much more can God accomplish when we are really have our heart given to what his heart is? Missions is the heartbeat of God. This is what God commanded us to accomplish in this world. And what is what is the one of the only prayer requests that one of the very few prayer requests that God gives in the Bible? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. We pray about things that are heavy on our hearts that we know are important. Missions is important to God. He desires that every nation, every tongue bow and know him as Lord and King and Savior. And how is that to be accomplished? We have the wonderful privilege of being God's hands and feet on this world. God, in his sovereign wisdom, has chosen humans to be his vessel to get his word to the entire world. So it's been a growing process of just yielding to Christ, coming to realize what exactly our part in missions is. And and obviously that did lead us to the mission field, not saying that everybody is called um, to the mission field. I know Simeon talks a lot about uh, when we speak to kids' classes, you know, this there's this kind of idea of, oh, everybody's a missionary. Um, he has a little bit of a different take on that. Everybody is not a missionary. And we actually do a significant amount of damage, I think, in the minds of our young people and really in the minds of the people of our churches when we put across this idea that everybody's a missionary. First of all, let's get rid of the word missionary. The word missionary is not in the scripture, okay? Now, we can still use that word, but I'm just for the example of what I'm giving. Let's take that word away entirely. Everybody is a Christian. The job of a Christian is to share the gospel. If the job of a Christian is to share the gospel, what is a missionary? Okay, so a missionary is somebody who goes to a foreign field to share the gospel with a people who may or may not even have access to the gospel. So a missionary is someone who goes out from among our church body and shares the gospel with somebody else. When we say everybody's a missionary, it actually undermines in our children's minds and hearts 
the idea and in the importance of foreign mission work. Um, because if everybody's a missionary, then why don't I just keep the money that God's given me and give it to the poor so that I can give them the gospel? Or why can't I just go and, you know, leave a track at my neighbor's door instead of going to serve in Africa? Right. Another thing that our pastor has taught us, um, I believe it's in Acts, Acts 1-8, in that record of the Great Commission, where it talks about that we are to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth, and there, not then, then, Both and, or, yeah, what it says. yeah, so it is all to be happening simultaneously. So as Christians, we are all, we all have responsibility to reach the people that God has put in our sphere of influence and um, really just encouraging our kids to have that evangelistic worldview of, hey, who's our neighbor? Who's your friend? Who do you know that's not saved? But beyond that, there is a world. And I think sometimes we get this tunnel vision of, and and we're busy. We have so much going on that sometimes it's hard to look outside of our own box, but there is a world that is dying and going to hell that needs Christ. And there is a part to play. You know, you need to be a witness where you are. You do need to give. You do need to pray. You do need to invest and know your missionaries and pray for them. Um, one thing that God has really showed us through some amazing preaching and insight from much wiser people, uh, we love the verse Philippians 4, 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I mean, it's on journals, t-shirts, bumper stickers. We love that idea. We want God to supply all our needs according to his riches. Um, it's kind of a comfy oh yeah, he's going to take care of me. I can just... It's a prosperity gospel kind of a message sometimes if we're not careful. But what's the context here? If you look at that passage, the context of all of that is Paul congratulating and complimenting the Philippian church on their willingness to give to the mission work that the apostle Paul was trying to accomplish. He said, no other church communicated with me. Um, the idea there is that the Philippian church was the only one that followed through with the commitment that they had made to the apostle Paul to take care of his needs. And he was saying, look, I have learned how to be content in much. I've learned how to be content in little, but what you're doing is bringing fruit to your account. And so what he, he was saying to the Philippian church is you take care of God's mission in this world and God will take care of you. If you want your kids, what parent doesn't want their kids to have their needs met. Every parent wants their kids to have their needs met. You want your kids to have your need, their needs met, you teach them to have a missions mindset and evangelistic worldview. And I know we're belaboring this point. Obviously, it, it hits very near and dear to our heart. But it's just, it's so important. And, and as we've traveled, uh, we've seen churches that have done an amazing job at including kids in world missions. And then we've been at some where... They just have no idea. They're they're not included. And I don't think that's what God intended. I, I Children have a part to play in missions too. And you know the thing about it is children grow up and then they're adults and then it's on their shoulders to get missionaries around the world. Um, but encourage your children. And I have plans down the road to share more about how you can get your kids involved in world missions. Um, 
but just, you know, here quick, just, you know, encourage them to pray. And it is neat. We've loved Eden learning her geography via missionary. That's been so fun. Um, We really try to pray specific. God bless the missionaries. Honestly, that prayer does not help us. We need specific prayer requests prayed for, and and I'm sure you do as well. Um, You know, we've talked about there is a battle. There's a spiritual warfare. We need God intervening on our behalf. Um, So we try to encourage him. Even last night, Eden was praying for the missionary, and, and I think she just said something really general. And I was like, even if you can just think about one thing, what is one thing that you can pray specifically for that missionary? And she was like, well, I can pray that they won't get sick. Great. Pray that for them. Um, Get your kids involved in giving to missions. It can be a penny a week, but they're still practicing that of giving. And moms, I'm just going to tell you, give your kids. If God calls them to the mission field, foreign mission field, be supportive. Encourage that. You know, I, I, I'm the one that is leaving my family and, you know, Simeon's the one we're leaving his parents and taking the grandkids. And, you know, it's a little easier for me being on that end of things, though it still has its fair share of challenges. But I've often thought, what if one of my kids comes to me one day and says, hey, mom, you know, we feel like God's calling us outside of Australia and we want to go wherever way beyond my reach. What will my heart be? I hope my heart is supportive and encouraging and just telling them, hey, whatever God calls you to do, I am 100% behind that. Don't limit God's blessing on your kids by keeping them too close. God wants to do more for your kids and with your kids than you could ever imagine for them. Let God bless them and use them in this evangelistic worldview way. Um, Whether he chooses to keep them close to home or take them very far from you, uh, this is an important one to us. And we're going to wrap up this episode with uh, number four would be integrity. In Psalm 51, and we're going to look at two verses, verses, verse four and verse six, it says this, it says, against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be judged, justified uh, when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. In verse six, it says, behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Uh, David is is confessing his sin in this psalm here and he's and he's pouring out his heart to God but the most interesting thing I think is he's committed some gross sin we won't get into all of it um and this psalm correlates with that um but he's he's committed some gross sin he's committed some sin against other people um he's done some horrible stuff and it has affected the lives the very life of some people it's infected it's affected lots and lots of things but in this passage he says against thee the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. A person who has integrity is a person who understands that his life and his actions are not just against people. His life and his actions are for or against God Almighty. That person of integrity understands this. And that's why David says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. If we parent our children to fit a rule set, 
we have failed them. And unfortunately, that's the way a lot of parents raise their children. And, you know, the temptation, even for us, is to do that because it's easier. It's a lot easier to say, do this, don't do this, and if you don't, you're going to get in trouble. But to teach that child the difference between we follow this rule because it's a rule and we do this because God Almighty in heaven is pure and just and this is what he wants from us. And any affront to that is an affront to God Almighty. A person who has integrity understands something. God desires truth in the inward parts. Um, I heard someone once define integrity this way. They said that integrity is a person who does right in the dark. What that means is that that person does right, even when nobody's watching, even when nobody's looking, nobody's nobody's got their eyes on you, but you're going to still do right. The word integrity is actually a construction term. It means that there is no crack in the foundation. You've got a foundation that's laid and that it is whole, it is complete. Um, there's no cracks in it. If you have a crack in your foundation, you can't see it, but it begins to damage every other part of the building. And I talked about this some in the episode that I did with Katie Davidson about guiding our kids to the shepherd, but just the difference between reaching your kid's heart and correcting their behavior. And this is not something that we we have far from perfected this, but especially as our kids are little, we're really trying to work on this. And it takes, it takes sacrifice. It takes stopping what you're doing. And focusing on the issue at hand, focusing on the child and their heart, it goes beyond the surface. It's easy to just, there was an action that was disobedient, disrespectful, to discipline. You don't do this because mommy said so. And then go right back to whatever it was that we were doing. But I think that's detrimental to our kids. We have got to get past the surface and get down to their heart. And and that does take time and setting things aside, but it is worth it. We can't just correct the surface behavior. We have to get down to their heart, but that requires a relationship. I was actually just talking to a friend recently who is an expectant first-time mama, and we were just kind of sharing our hearts together, and, and this issue came up. And... um. You know, we we both have had some experience with teenagers, so we were just talking about how sometimes in the teen years, if you tried to reach their heart, and all you've been doing is just kind of correcting behavior up until this point, you haven't tried to reach their heart before the teen years, it's not, I'm not going to say it's too late, but it's just so much more difficult in that stage of life, whereas Right now, we have little toddlers who we can discipline and correct, and, you know, as soon as they wipe the tears from their eyes, they're back in our arms. You're my best friend, mommy, you know? (laughs) And so it's just a unique window of time that God gives um, in those little years that I, I think it's important that we reach their hearts at that stage when they're just, they're so moldable and, um, you know, no matter what we do, we're going to be their best friend. 
if you've passed that stage and you have older kids, it's not too late. God, God can still work. God works in our mistakes and our failures. And we, like I said, even, even though we believe strongly in this, it is still something that we fail at and we're working on. But I, I do think it's so important to try to reach down to their heart, get down to, you know, the Bible talks about the soil, um, the sower planting his seeds and the different types of soil. And the good soil was a prepared soil that was ready to receive that seed. It had been tilled. It had been weeded. It had had the rocks removed and it was ready. And that's what we need to do with the hearts of our kids. We need to prepare their hearts, cultivate the ground of their hearts so that when we plant the seeds of truth, they quickly take root, um, that there's not any obstruction. And all, all of that, reaching their heart requires a relationship. Um, I know a lot of parents just want to be a friend, want to be a friend. And yeah, I want to be my kid's friend. I mean, you know, I, I want to get along and have fun together. But especially when they're at home, you know, in these formative years, whether they're a little all the way up through teenagers, our purpose is not to be their best friend. Our purpose is to guide and teach, to train them up in the way that they should go. Um... But it does require a relationship, not best buddy, you know, do whatever you want to do because I, I want to keep your heart. But no, it, it requires this investment of, hey, I love you because God gave you to me and you are my precious gift from him. And even the hard things I am committed to do because I know that God has a purpose for your life. I know that in order to receive his greatest blessing on your life, you need to fulfill that purpose. And so mommy and daddy are committed to do whatever it takes to to help you achieve his purpose for you, whether that might be correcting or whatever is required, but really just reaching into their hearts and um, just letting them know that everything that you do is out of a heart of love. Um, so we'll wrap up this episode with that. We, we listed the first four, fear God, be a disciple of Christ, have an evangelistic worldview, and be a person of integrity. What's some of the fruit that comes from, I'll call it the tree of integrity, honesty, when you are a person of integrity, you'll be honest. You'll have a strong character. These strong character traits will come from a person that has integrity. We look forward to joining you again next week as we continue through this list of just key elements that we feel like God is impressing upon our hearts that we need to strive for as we are trying to build a home that glorifies Christ. I hope this episode has been an encouragement to you. If it has, you can like, share, and subscribe. You can also follow me on Instagram at nohighercalling underscore. You can also follow my blog at nohighercalling.org. We look forward to joining you next week. I hope that this episode has brought much glory to Christ, encouraged your heart, and strengthened you to be the wife and mother that God has created you to be. Thanks for listening.